Hey, headlampers. Welcome to the Headlamp Hour. I'm your host, Nate Jukes, father of five, actuary by day, and a trail runner before sunrise. On this episode of the Headlamp Hour, we talk with Tyler Green and Rachel Drake, the trail running couple sponsored by Nike and based in Portland, Oregon. In addition to trail running, Tyler is a high school cross-country coach, and Rachel just finished up medical school. But most importantly, they are parents to their 16-month-old boy, Lewis. On this episode, we talk about Tyler and Rachel's recent trip and races in Hong Kong, Tyler's conservative and consistent, but sometimes aggressive racing style, and what their typical day looks like as parents, a coach, and a recently minted doctor. We talk about Tyler's spirituality and love for reading. We discuss Rachel's Olympic trials qualifier, but her decision to ultimately focus on the trails and go golden ticket hunting instead. We also discuss the opportunities and challenges associated with being a sponsored married couple. And we finish up by talking about Rachel's upcoming race at the Black Canyon 100K and where they might end up for Rachel's medical residency training. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, Tyler Green and Rachel Drake, welcome to the Headlamp Hour. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to have you. Um, so when I conceived of this podcast, um, again, it's called the Headlamp Hour. So that's a nod to the fact that as trail runners with multiple things going on in their lives, maybe parenthood like you guys, um, work, school, etc. A lot of our runs might happen during that Headlamp Hour. And so when I, like I said, when I started thinking of this podcast, you two were like one of the first people that I thought like, that's, that's my like target, um, not audience, my target, like interviewees. So I am, I am stoked to have you guys on the podcast and, and, and just have you guys as guests. Thank yeah, you. Thanks so much. Really sweet. Um, well, first things first. So I believe Tyler, you had a birthday yesterday and I did. I'm a and master it, now. And it was a big one. The <laughs> yeah, big the big four oh. Yes. Um, yeah, it's cool. I mean, yeah, we had a nice we had a nice day. Um, went and had got some free donuts, mini donuts from this kind of popular place in Portland and Voodoo yeah. Donuts? Was it Voodoo? No, donuts? it's uh Pips, Pips Original, which are these okay. tiny little donuts, but they're they're very good, yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. it was a nice day and still did uh strength training. We still have strength training class. So I got to see some friends there. Oh, good. Yeah. I think I saw this, the story that, that Rachel yeah, posted of you guys of singing happy birthday to you. So yeah, that's so cool. Well, uh, yeah. How does 40 feel? Do you feel any different? I honestly, I woke up yesterday morning on my birthday and like my back was kind of hurting. Uh, not, so. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it. But uh, no, I feel great. I mean, you know, it, it like if the number is just a construct, though, I know that there are some um, kind of uh, scientific things that happen to your body around this time. Um, but I'm not going to listen to any of that. I'm just going to go and do my thing for as long as I can. <laughs> Sweet. Love it. Awesome classic, uh, classic Tyler green mentality there. Love it. Um, and Rachel, um, I can't help, but bring up something that you posted a little bit ago, I think on one of your stories. So first you posted a picture on the Nike campus of Eliud Kipchoge's empty parking spot. <laughs> oh, boy. And then the next thing <laughs> that you posted was a parking ticket. Yeah. Uh, and so 
did you get a parking ticket for parking in Elliot Kipchoge's parking spot? That's that's the question. That's the million dollar question. So no, I ended up parking in a service vehicle spot and I got a ticket for parking there, but somebody told me I should have parked in Elliot's spot and that would have been better. But I swear I was driving around for like 15 minutes trying to find a spot and and I just thought that was kind of funny because his spot, of course, his his spot and LeBron James's spot were both empty. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, both good options. Better than, <laughs> I guess, probably better than, yeah, the service service area parking. But yeah, I don't think That's... Elliot would mind it. I no. don't either. Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. For sure. He probably just runs to work, right? Right. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh the the op- the typical opening question after a little you know fun fun uh, fun questions that we just got over with um just to start off the podcast is what roles define your identity and shape who you are as as human beings as people um yeah i think uh if in four words i'd say uh father and husband um uh runner and coach those are let's take up those are all the buckets that i really spend a lot of time in and and just appreciate about my life like i mean all of them just give me a lot of joy and um and satisfaction and in what i do from day to day very cool i'm gonna gonna go chronologically and say previously it was student and now it's I guess, doctor, which sounds really scary to say. Then it, then I was also a wife or actually, sorry, student, which is now doctor, uh, runner or athlete, uh, wife and now mother. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Thanks for, uh, I guess like I've never heard anybody go chronologically, but that's, that's really interesting. So, um, so I guess just, yeah. And this kind of goes into the next question, but just a little bit of background and and very briefly, like, where did you grow up like each of you? And what about that location or environment, whether, you know, with your parents or siblings, friends, et cetera, helped you grow into the person that you are today and runner? Yeah. So I grew up in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. And what's that near? uh, It's, it's near St. Paul. Um, it's like 20 or 30 minutes kind of north of St. Paul, Northeast sort of. Um, and yeah, I had a great childhood. I have an older brother, so I kind of grew up chasing after him and he was really into like making jumps for skateboards and bikes and his nickname was road rash Ryan. And so I was always trying to keep up to him, uh, like mostly snowboarding. I, I actually broke my arm on the same rail that he broke his collarbone on when I was in eighth grade. Um, I think I was in eighth grade. Sorry. We had to, we had to let Teddy up. He's being sad that he was included. Wake up. He's going to wake up Lewis. So, (laughs) Oh, no problem. Sorry about that. Um, and then, yeah, I just like, um, there's a lot of lakes in Minnesota. So I also grew up sailing, um, sailing was a really big part of my kind of athletic upbringing and I coached sailing as well. And then ended up staying close to home for college, um, went to the university of Minnesota where I ran track and cross country. Um, yeah. 
That's really interesting. So sailing, you said you used to coach sailing as well? Yeah, uh, coach or oh. I guess teach is maybe the better word to use. I um, I taught people how to sail from age five to 65 or older even. So um, it actually came up a lot in residency interviews because you have to have really good situational awareness with, with sailing to kind of know like the ability of your students and if the if the conditions change and the wind picks up, like knowing how to triage um, what students to go help and which ones are okay for a little bit longer. So it was kind of interesting to to revisit that. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I wonder, you know, I guess how like make the connection then to running, like how did how, if at all, did, did sailing translate to running? Cause you said it was, you know, part of your athletic background. Yeah. I think I had a lot of fear as a younger sailor, especially on days when it was really windy because I was a smaller person. And so when it's really windy, you just have to work a lot harder to keep your boat from flipping over, especially when you're smaller. And so I think it just like, it kind of trained me how to deal with nerves a little bit. And also when I think about running, I'm like, I get nervous for races, but I'm not fearing for my life. Like I was <laughs> going into a sailing race. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it could get pretty scary out there. Um, you know, capsizing and, and all that, but mm -hmm. wow, that's crazy. How about you, Tyler? Um, I, yeah, we live in Portland, Oregon. This is where I was born and raised as well. Um, I was born on, in the Southeast, uh, part of town, which is quite a ways away from where the main trails are here. But, um, we had a, we had a park nearby us that had, um, great running and biking trails and stuff more like paths than trails. Um, but I always kind of, I don't know that connected with me like I was running on the trails or something like that and it was fairly hilly and stuff hillier than you know normal like just normal like high school runners you often run in like pretty flat so um so I think that did did kind of bring in some some kind of uh interest in in trails and and I guess varied terrain sort of running and um, but I also, my family backpacked, um, we did a lot of mountain biking. We had a, we have a, um, cabin up at near Mount hood. And so, yeah, spent a decent amount of time in the forest and that's led to, um, to just gradually kind of figuring out the, the love of trails. And I guess, yeah, I had a love of trails and a love of running, but never quite connected the two or for, for some time didn't connect the two. And then, um, in time, it was like, oh, I can do these concurrently. And that's, that's where the sport kind of was born in my heart, probably way later than I thought of than it should have probably like late twenties is when it, when I started to really trail run. I think that's so interesting because I feel like there's always that moment in a runner's life, which I mean, a lot of us come from the track cross country background then that we realize like, Oh, people are like actually running on trails up mountains and wait, how far are they running? Like a hundred miles? Like, <laughs> yeah. So was there, I guess, like, what was the spark that made you realize you could like marry the two? Did you, 
like see a YouTube video of Courtney DeWalter or something. Yeah. Cause that's what, that's what it was for me. But you know, my, dad, <laughs> my dad actually, uh, there's the Timberline trail is a famous trail. that goes around, um, Mount hood. Uh-huh. Uh, and my dad actually did it in one day when he was, I don't know, thirties. Yeah. Some, somewhere in the thirties, maybe twenties. Um, and I always heard about that, heard about his experience there. And, and that was something that I wanted to do. And so eventually like kind of set that as like, this is a goal of mine that I'm going to make this happen. Um, so yeah, I guess like, I mean, he, that wasn't a run or anything. It was like just a big hike that he did with a climbing club that was, uh, that or like an Oregon climbing club. Um, but that did have something of a little bit of an introduction to this, like big days in the mountains sort of thing. Um, and then when I was in maybe in fifth grade or something like that, we were camping in, um, a mountain range in Eastern Oregon called the Wallowas. And we, um, my dad took me out for this big, long hike. It was like a 20 mile hike in a day. And, um, you know, that was something also that it was really hard, but I, I loved it and like got a little bit of summit fever and we didn't end up climbing to the top of this mountain. But, um, afterwards I was like, Oh, I feel fine. Like my legs are fine. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are a couple like kind of peak or big experiences that were probably instrumental in, in eventually getting to this point where I've been doing this trail running thing. It's so interesting to reflect back, like, now on on those types of experiences you know as one who now has a years and years of experience in running trails and then like try to remember like what you thought about it then and now how you perceive it and how that's like changed so much yeah uh, absolutely so thanks for ta- taking us back there yeah sure um okay I, now i wanted to fast forward all the way to just a few weeks ago when you guys went to Hong Kong and raced there. So, um, I guess like, uh, let me just like say the results here, Rachel, you raced the 33 K the third, um, you got first there and Tyler, you raced the hundred K distance there or sorry, you, did I say, yeah, you got first Rachel. And then Tyler, you raced the hundred K and got third there. Um, you think well, cause she raced the third and I got third and she, was yeah, I think that's, and, yeah, that's what, that's what messed me up. I, yeah, I yeah. got it down though. Right. Yeah, on right. my, on my notes here. Um, <laughs> so what was the reason behind wanting to go to like that race specifically? And what, it, what is it like racing in Asia? Have you done that before? How is it different than racing, you know, in Europe or the U S um, whether that difference is in terrain or competition, overall vibe, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much to that question. I think like, uh, our, we were talking a little, we were talking quite a bit about Tarawera for a while, but it just wasn't like, as we were talking about it, just didn't quite have the like excitement in it to do it. And we weren't quite sure about it. So, um, and then, and then Hong Kong came up as I guess the world trail majors was announced and that was a piece of it. Um, Hong Kong is, is like the, 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 the premier race in Asia, as far as I understand. Um, and I'd heard about it a fair amount, um, previously. So once it started, kind of, we started looking at videos and stuff, thought this is a really cool place. Let's, let's do this. It's like very unique experience as well. And I think that that is a draw of like, this is a race that's going to challenge you in ways that you're not used to. Um, for me, that would be like 
the humidity was was a real challenge um as well as like running on a lot of stairs um it's an interesting course in that like probably at least 15 maybe 20 miles is on like paved terrain and then the and then there's all the and then maybe there's a probably another 20 to 30 percent that's all on stairs and then there's another stretch that's on trail but the trail is pretty rocky and and um and technical so you get just this interesting mix of of racing that requires you to kind of switch from different skill sets very quickly um so all of those were were pretty were pretty good challenges that I felt like helped me grow as a runner I think Rachel as well um and as a racer and then um to be able to like I think that like trail running is going bonkers in Asia it's growing in leaps and bounds and um and there's some really really talented runners out there and I would like to see like just like Americans go and are and have a difficult time running in Europe um or you know maybe some Europeans come to America and have a difficult time um running in America like I know that that's for a number of years it took a while for like um someone outside of the United States to, to win Western States. Um, eventually that happened. I think a similar thing needs to happen in like us traveling to Asia and running on their home turf and, and, and struggling through that experience and to, and that's a part of like this sport becoming like more of a global sport is, uh, is to see us all kind of like, going to each other's home turfs and, and, and racing on them and kind of getting our butts handed to us as well. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think now that, you know, that race is part of the, like the world trail majors, I think that m- might happen more naturally. Um, I- I'd like to, I'd like to think so at least. Yeah. I'd really like to encourage people to, <clears throat> to run that race. I mean, I think we were actually the only Americans we knew of that were there. Um, and I'd love to see more, uh, yeah, more, more people going and contending in that, in that race. Uh, Rachel, anything to add there about the culture, the race itself, you know, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I didn't know too much about Hong Kong before going there. And, um, I, I actually almost didn't go cause I, I was like, I don't want to bring Lewis there. Our one and a half year old, I think it'd be too difficult. So my mom ended up or my parents, I guess, ended up watching him while we were gone. So I got to go and I loved it. The The trail scene is incredible there. The community is so kind and wonderful and welcoming. Um, and not just the trail community, but like really the whole community. I just felt very, I don't know, very cared for, I guess, even just by strangers. So um, yeah like very easy place to travel. If we're not selling the race enough, just going to Hong Kong is a wonderful place. That's so cool. I love that you mentioned that um, because I wanted to actually go into um, another thing that looks like you guys had a lot of fun there meeting someone, um, Esther Chilog, if I'm saying yeah. the yeah. last name right there. Right. Um, sounds mm-hmm. like you met her through a mutual friend, Katie Asmuth. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about that like serendipitous meeting and how it might just embody, you know, trail Absolutely. culture, being able to meet 
you know, like-minded people and awesome people on the other side of the world through this amazing sport. Yeah. It was one of those things where Katie said, Oh, you have to meet Esther. You guys would get along so well. And I kind of felt I was a little bit hesitant because I didn't want to, I didn't want to impose on her. I didn't want to, you know, make her have to, to hang out with me if she didn't want to, but, um, she was super enthusiastic. I actually, I tried to text her and I accidentally texted the wrong number and she, she messaged me a few hours later and she said, have you texted me yet? I haven't gotten your text message. So yeah, we met up and we, we hung out a lot there. Um, I was telling someone today, so I think we probably ran together five times in like the 10 days that we were there. And it got to the point where, you know, I, I told Tyler, Hey, I'm going to meet up with my friend. I'm taking the bus to go, you know, meet up with my friend for, we went for a, a soak and some Epsom, some like very concentrated Epsom salt bath for recovery. But it was just so cool to be so far from home to not know a single person before going there. And then to have this feeling of like, Oh, I'm just doing life with someone. And the last night we were there, she wanted to say goodbye. So her and her two daughters came to our hotel and delivered a, a bag of brown sugar mochi, which is just a really tasty treat that she, that she shared with me there. And um, yeah, super grateful to have met her and excited to see her again in a couple months when she comes to the States. That's so cool. Yeah. Like instant, instant friend. It sounds like. Yeah, um, definitely. I, yeah, I'll have to have her on the podcast sometime too. It sounds like she's a really cool person yeah. and an athlete. So she's, she has a lot going on. She's a art, art history, PhD, mother of two, a wife of a Hungarian diplomat, like she, and obviously not to mention her trail running accolades. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. All right. Um, well, that sounds like just like it was a lot of fun, a lot of, uh, uh, good racing, good, uh, cultural, cultural, you know, experiences and meeting new people. Um, so, so sounds like it was a blast. Um, I wanted to kind of switch gears and, um, ask Tyler, um, about your different racing styles that you sometimes espouse. Um, sometimes you go out conservatively and sometimes you go out more aggressively. So, at Western States this past year, you got second, um, in 2023 and you were in second pretty early on. And you talked to, on, you know, the free trail podcast with Dylan Bowman about this, about, you know, going out more aggressive and, and wanting to do that. Um, but I wonder if you feel like, um, like you could do that again in a different type of race, or if you felt like the, the more aggressive, um, like, uh, mode was unique to Western States or I, I, I know you went, you went, uh, you, you ran UTMB just a couple of months later and got seventh place there, I believe. And, and did super well. And at Hong Kong hundred, you got third, obviously. Um, but was, I guess like what I'm asking is, and this is a long lead up, but is there is there something special about Western States that you felt like was easier to go out more aggressive, maybe because you have more experience there or, or what do you want to say about that? Yeah. Um, I, it was uh, somewhat strategic, I guess, like Western States, um, 
you know, I try not to, well, we were, we were working on it where I was saying it was something that I knew that I needed, that I needed to get a little bit better on from the start line to Robinson flat that I lost a lot of time in previous years there. Um, So this year I kind of let, like my strategy was kind of to let the leaders go a little bit up the first climb, but even then you, what you're maybe two minutes behind and um, and I often find myself in past races, like catching up pretty quickly, um, on the downhills in those times. So, um, and that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, maybe they were two or three minutes ahead of, ahead of us. Um, and then I, on the downhill there through the snow, um, to Lion Ridge, uh, started to like me and, uh, Dakota and Jeff Jeff, um, we just started to have this like great camaraderie, like finding the flags together. And like, those guys are some of the best descenders out there. Like Jeff like lives on his skis. So he knows the snow really well. Dakota's an incredible descender. So we just like started to, we were just cruising, um, and had a lot of fun with it as well. Uh, and before long we had, we had caught all the leaders besides, uh, Um, so we just ran together for a while and I was just like, man, this feels really comfortable. And I think it's just, I think it just happened to be like that. I feel pretty comfortable on snow, um, that it wasn't necessarily an intentional, like I'm going to go out front. Um, but then, you know, as the snow started to disappear a little bit, um, I was like, I'm just staying in a groove here and I'm like distancing myself from the rest of the group. So when I reached Lion Ridge, I was maybe, I don't know. 20 seconds in front of the next, the, the, the big group, um, that I thought like, oh, my crew is going to be pretty surprised. Like everybody's going to be surprised by this. They're usually Tyler's in like 15th at this point. So, but I thought that was a great thing. And, you know, just kind of said like, all right, well, we're in it. Like this is, this was the plan all along. Um, so yeah, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't need to be racing in the very front of the race i don't have any like i don't feel any compulsion to do that um i'm just feel like i have a fairly um intact regulator for early in a race to know when i'm like just burning too many matches and in in order to be able to finish and finish really strong and i think that there is some amount of like excitement and adrenaline and like rhythm that comes with passing people as well. Uh, and that's probably something that I kind of feed on a little bit. Um, I mean, last year, I think I was passed by two people the entire season. Wow. So, you know, that kind of like, just because I guess I, tend to pull back a little bit and and then I just like I like chipping away at the at the leads and stuff the issue is that I sometimes get too far behind for like the win but um but podiums are cool too (laughs) but I think what you alluded to Nate is pretty true in that like with with western states you have so much more experience there so it feels a little bit safer to go out harder because you know exactly what you're getting yourself into and you know that you can do it whereas before hong kong you said 
I don't think this is the place to go out and take a big risk just because there's so, there's so many more unknowns, yeah, true. um, being a different climate and pretty different terrain. So, yeah, that's true. um, just to bring it back to what you were alluding to. Yeah. Cause that's what I was going to ask if you felt like at Hong Kong and UTMB, you know, your last couple of races, if you did adopt that more aggressive strategy, whether it was intentional or unintentional, like it sounds like it was a little unintentional at Western States, but, um, and I guess it sounds like you're saying Rachel, that, it, that you did go out pretty conservatively, at least at, at Hong Kong. Um, did you, did you feel like at UTMB you ran, uh, like you, like you like to, like in your personality kind of conservatively? Yeah, I mean, it, in UTMB, even if you're in 30th place, like you can be 30 miles into the race and still just a few minutes back from the leaders. So, right. you know, like it looks, it looks much more conservative than it probably actually is. Um, similar with trans Grand Canaria, like you're looking up and you're saying, Oh, there's the leaders. And maybe I'm in 10th or 20th place or something like that, but everybody's right there. I think this year I did without like going in and, and having to race at the front, I spent a lot of time like, or I was, I was definitely more intentional about making sure that the gaps weren't as big as I've let them grow sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not like obviously trying to, uh, change your running personality or anything, but it is interesting to hear your perspective on that. Cause obviously, you know, that's what you're known for, right. Is super consistent, like podium finishes all the time. Um, but, but like, it's a, <laughs> but the win, right. Like, so I'm going to ask you, like, can we expect a more aggressive run from the front Tyler green at the next Western States? Uh, we'll see what, we'll see what the conditions are like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's uh yeah, I I mean yeah, I think that that I think that really depends on the conditions. Cooler year means go out in front or go go a little faster earlier on. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. Again, I, no no pressure from me. I just, just yeah, asking I'll, the hard-hitting questions. Exactly. So exactly. All right. Um so I wanted to talk a little bit now about what you all do kind of outside of running. So um, Rachel, you just finished, well, you finished your, you had a PhD, right? A couple of years ago that you finished up and now you finished up your MD. Yep. Um, and, uh, so w do you know where you're going yet for residency? That's the big question. No, uh, match day is March 15th. So I will okay. know. Yeah. Okay. So do, do you, can you reveal anything about other schools that are on your radar or what? Uh, and again, no pressure, but yeah. I heard university of Utah was, was on the list maybe. The, and so... the trail running world is really, yeah. <laughs> fixated on that one. I, yeah, we loved Utah. I interviewed at a lot of great places. Um, my home university, uh, Oregon health and science university in Portland, Virginia Mason up in Seattle, as well as university of Washington, um, University of Colorado actually Drew Holman's brother graduated from the the anesthesiology residency program there, which is kind of a fun tie. Uh, Minnesota, Michigan, Vermont, UCSF, Stanford, Stanford, Columbia, Maine. 
I think that's about it. <laughs> wow. That's, that's yeah, it. Huh? I mean, <laughs> usually they're all, they're all great, great programs yeah. that I think we would be happy to be at any of those. And Tyler's not stoked about New York city, but <laughs> yeah, that I don't know if I would be either, but I'm sure wherever you end up will be amazing and wonderful. I guess like, how are you thinking about that? Like as you, and maybe not just from a trail running standpoint, obviously you have to think about that, like access to trails so you can train because you are professional athletes, but are you thinking about it at all? Um, in terms of distance to family, um, where you want to raise Lewis and uh, any other future children, anything, any thoughts like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you know, I'm, I'm trying to weigh certainly a place where I'm going to get excellent medical training, where I'm going to feel supported as a trainee and, um, just a good learning environment because that's where I'm going to be spending most of my time. But then at the same time, I have lots of other things to consider. Of course, my family making sure Tyler's in a place where he can thrive with his career as well as raise, um, raise a family and have support for that. And, um, yeah, it's tough to strike a good balance between all of those different things at play. Like, for example, the, the Bay area, um, I was looking into childcare there and it was something like the, the cheap childcare option, the subsidized one was like $3,000 a month for five days a week. So that's just like, you know, I know that people do it, but that's just a tough, a tough pill to swallow. Even when you're, you're at, I think UCSF is the number two anesthesiology residency program in the country. So you have that amazing opportunity, but then you weigh that against, you know, the financial strain of, of trying to make sure Lewis is in a good situation. And it's just, it's, it's really tough to, to consider everything. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, that's, a uh, that's interesting. I'm glad, you know, you're thinking more about just, just where to run, but also about obviously the quality of the program and, and where you want to, you know, raise your family and stuff. So that's, that's good mm-hmm. to hear. And we will be, we will patiently await the results of, <laughs> of that matching yeah. system. So. I hope I, I hope I match. <laughs> I hope I don't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right. Um, so on top of that, um, uh, Tyler, you, do you still coach, um, high school cross country and, yeah, and um, track? Yeah. For, I've been at the school that we work, I've worked at for nine, maybe going on, t- maybe it's 10 years. Uh, so quite some time, uh, Oregon Episcopal school, small private school, um, and have done a number of different jobs at that school, uh, teaching in various roles, um, and then coaching probably in total for eight or nine years as well for a number of years as an assistant. And then, um, maybe three years ago took over head coach of cross country. I guess I was head coach of track for a few years previous to that as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, that's, that's a area that just brings me a lot of, a lot of joy. Um, it's not so much a, it's not meant to be like a big, um, part of my career in terms of like supporting family, but, um, I guess it supports our family in another way. And that like, I'm able to bring Lewis to practice. Rachel was the assistant coach last this season too. 
Um, so we just brought Lewis to practice every single day and, um, and he got to, you know, make uh, 40 really good friends on the team. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. That's, that's really cool. And I like how you put that, right? Like, you know, it's not necessarily like, you know, what you do to, so that you can support a family, make money or whatever, but in a lot of other ways, like you're supporting your family because it fills your cup, right? Like it's, it's fulfilling, I guess, like talk a little bit more about that. And maybe you also do some like personal coaching as well, right? With athletes. So either in your personal coaching or your coaching with your high school athletes, like how does that translate then to um, you as a runner, as an athlete and how it brings you joy and fulfillment? Um, yeah, I think being a runner has a, a, like being doing this for so many years, it's just entwined in my DNA. And, you know, when the leaves start falling, you just smell cross country. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's, I guess there's just something that like, this is just this thread uh, in my life that will probably continue, um, for many, many years to come. Um, and it just, it's, I think, I think I've ha- also have this great opportunity to run as a professional, which is something that I never thought was, was feasible for me. I wasn't any sort of standout high school runner, college runner, or anything like that. It's just something that I've just chipped away at and it's, and then was like, oh, I'm actually getting kind of good at this. Um, but through that, um, have had just so many good people that I've gotten that, that have, that have helped me um, in our journey. I'm thinking of people like Matt Walsh, um, our strength coach, who's, I'm just always asking questions about, um, well, our own, our own athletic development. Um, but then also asking questions about, um, about clients or, or, um, high schoolers that I coach just on how, how to improve their running journey. Um, I don't know. It's a roundabout way of saying, like, I feel like I've been blessed with many great running experiences and it is an opportunity to give back. Um, I think it also is a, is a really good, um, competitive outlet for like the off season. Um, if that makes sense, like after UTMB, it can be easy to be like, all right, what's next. And what I really need is just to let my body rest. But that being said, cross country season just starts then. And, uh, and I use that time to, um, or I use that opportunity to, to kind of scratch my competitive itch in a different way. <laughs> a couple of follow-ups I have for that is one, like when you do find out where you're going to go for Rachel's residency, do you plan on then trying to find another high school? Uh, yeah, that's my, that's my intention. Um, I think there's still some unknowns there of just, uh, we've got, we're going to have to figure out what, what our situation is with Lewis. And, um, that's probably the biggest one. Uh, meaning, you know, preschool or, you know, childcare, daycare, all that kind of stuff. Bringing him. We don't have that right now. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one step at a time there, but it's definitely something that I'm interested in. I'd be interested in working with college athletes as well, potentially. Um, 
so once once we figure out where we are, I'll start to uh, send out the feelers and and use different contacts to see what's out there. Cool. And then another follow up I had was you mentioned you know you never saw your potential as like a a professional athlete you know back in high school or college you didn't feel like you were a standout. Does that affect the way that you look at your high school athletes, like maybe the ones that are not as good or on JV or like, how do, how do you inspire them with your own story? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned as a runner is that consistency can take you really, really far. And as a, as a high school runner, like I really loved running, but I just, I'm looking back at it and I'm like, oh, it just, it wasn't like, uh, I didn't quite realize that like, if you just keep doing it all summer and all winter and you can just you can just build this huge aerobic engine and that should take you like pretty far and you've Uh, had and you've had kids who have done that who weren't standout athletes who who have got really amazing um growth yeah so that's i mean that's the lesson that i'm constantly teaching them is like hey we're not here to blow this workout out of the water. We're here to get in a good amount of work and then get ready for the next one and just keep building. And if we can do that, um, then, then big things happen. And, and our team has been really successful and it's taken a few years to build that. But, um, but over time we were able to, to really like build something. And I think that will continue. Um, and that now that that culture is kind of installed. I think, I think the other thing too, that's a little more direct even is the kids follow the races. They watch the Western States live stream, the UTMB live stream, and then they see, you know, how much you push and then you come to practice a week later. And I'll never forget my first day at practice. This, this freshman boy comes up to Tyler and he's just like, man, dude, that was so sick. And it's just, it's really awesome to see, you know, see the kids like, um, be inspired by him and, and get to come along for the ride. Cause trail running didn't have live stream not too long ago. That is so awesome. Yeah. I bet that's a very unique and fun experience for a high school, uh, athlete, high school athletes to see their coach, like continue to, to crush it in their own running endeavors. So that's awesome. That's fun. Um, so Rachel, I wanted to pivot to, to you and a little bit of, you know, some, I guess some pregnancy questions running through pregnancy and on all that. However, you know, I, I will refer most of the listeners to some, some, uh, podcasts that you've done recently on the sub hub and on the trail society, and done um, run hard, mom hard as well. And run hard, mom hard. That's right. Um, so you've talked, you know, a lot about that, um, about some of the things that you would have done differently, especially, you know, you, you mentioned that postpartum, you would have taken your time a lot, a lot slower, been more patient mm-hmm. to come back to running, um, how, you know, your bone density, for example, is, is a lot lower during, um, breastfeeding, Um, and, and, you know, how you felt like really good aerobically, but your body was not, um, there yet. So I guess like, just, you know, in in a quick sense, like, um, like what, what would you say to somebody like, you know, coming, coming back from, or, you know, 
at, right after pregnancy, like coming back to running, anything else that you would want to add there? Yeah, I think just be patient and be kind to yourself. Um, big emphasis on the be patient. I think it's so easy to feel to feel like you want to get back into it really fast. Like I hope I hope that my story is is a good caution, a good healthy cautionary tale. Um, but just to not rush things and know that you will be back stronger and that will come sooner the more patient you are. It sounds a little bit backwards, but I really believe that. Yeah, and I should I should also mention you ended up with a sacral stress fracture, right? Which yes. which set you back. So that's that's yes. why your 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 story is yeah, a, a tale of caution, but of And that's not uncommon. A lot of I mean, yeah. Shannon Robbery had a sacral stress fracture 4 months postpartum just like me. Um, Judith Wider, the Swiss machine, she had a pubic ramus stress fracture. Uh, I'm not sure what her timeline was postpartum, but it's, it's very common, unfortunately. Yeah. And so, but also your story is a story of hope, right? Like that you were able to, once you gave your body time to heal, you were able to come back and, and be even stronger and faster. Um, mm -hmm. so I guess the other question that I just wanted to ask or, or topic to bring up, right? Like you have a new baby, right? That's like the most important part of all this. Like, so what, like, you know, aside from like wanting to get back into running and trying to heal from that and, and all this and that, like, what would you say to new moms or, or new dads, new parents in general about, you know, just enjoying that new baby? You hit it, you hit it on the head, just enjoy that time. You know, when Lewis was first born, everybody said, oh, it goes so fast. It goes so fast before you know it, they're in college. And we kind of joked because we're like, okay, you know, he's still a baby. It's the next day he's still a baby, but he's huge now. And it really does go by fast. So just enjoy, enjoy every stage because they, they do change so quickly. It's really incredible. And it's such a blessing to, to get to, to just see him learn and grow. Awesome. How about you, Tyler? Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's, it's every, every day is kind of this new, it's there's like it's just an adventure, I guess, in that like every day is a little bit a little bit different, a little bit new. Like I can think of two or three things that Lewis did today that are different from what he could do um yesterday or a couple days before a couple days before. And um yeah, that's just it just gives me a lot of excitement like to wake up in the morning. And I think that's a cool just a cool little thing to have and have going on in your life really um it brings me a lot of uh excitement about about like uh, we will we'll be like if we weren't on this podcast right now we'd probably be looking at one another being like should we wake that guy up because we kind of want to hang out that's, we'll our, say that. that's our joke should we get that guy up <laughs> oh my goodness well you won't be saying that after five or six kids sure. <laughs> my, my my five are in bed and they are in bed you we're not waking five kids yeah. And, and one, wow. on the way, and one on the way. So, okay. wow. Congratulations. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's amazing. I have a million questions for you. 
Well, that we'll save that for when you start a podcast and, and want to <laughs> ask okay. me questions. Be careful what you mean for. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd love to chat about, about kids. In fact, you should talk to my wife, though, probably more than. We'll have you both me, on. But... <laughs> we'll have you Perfect. both on the pod. Perfect. Perfect. Um, uh, yeah, what, what you were saying, I guess, how old is Lewis now? Almost two? like 20 months or something 14 15 15 months we oh 15 months okay 16 16 it's 16 oh so almost almost 18 months okay yeah that's great so you were saying tyler you know like one day he's you know not walking and the next day he's kind of like walking or you know one day he's you know babbling and then now he's saying dada or mama right stuff like that um talk about that a little bit so in life i've noticed you know I'm always trying to like get into a certain rhythm, a certain routine. Um, like, and once I have it set is like the day that I feel like I have things going like, okay, I'm going to wake up this time and run. I'm going to, um, you know, start work at this time and do this or that and, and do this once a week with friends and do this once a week with my kids. Like, I just want to like set it and forget it. And then once I feel like I have that rhythm, then like something changes, like the seasons change or, you know, the kids are in school again or, or whatever, you know, like talk about that. Um, how often do you find that your daily routine changes and how do you two deal with those changes? Yeah, that's a, I think you're, you're just helping me realize something that I'm experiencing right now, which is that I am someone who really likes to find a routine and to have, um, a rhythm to my days. And I don't have that or it's, it's, it's much different now with, with Lewis, like, you know, like the place where just the place where I'm able to do my work on my computer is on this bench in our kitchen on the kitchen table. But now Lewis is like, Lewis is an incredible climber and gets and can get up on the bench. And then, you know, like, there's no way, there's no way away from him now. So now I have to, like okay well i can't i can't really work with them now so what can i do <laughs> so um yeah it's uh it's i guess that's a opportunity for growth for me though that i have to adapt to this this kid who's constantly able to do more and more and what do you <laughs> get mean into more things what do you mean there's no place there's no way to get away from him i mean in order to be able to i can't find a good I can't find a like deep work rhythm with Lewis awake or in the house. Yeah. Or he's in, a, in a in the room. He's a social butterfly. Yeah. He wants to show you everything that he's doing. Yeah. And he he also wants to be involved in whatever you're doing, which is awesome. Like we made pizza tonight and he helped me put the put the broccoli on the pizza. But it does take it makes everything take a lot longer as i'm sure you know being a father of five and a half yeah for sure nothing is safe that's for sure like i used to have everything like organized and like on shelves and like in places but you like it just gets moved like and my (laughs) pens get lost and like the thing that i put isn't in the same place so i've i've pretty much given up but um (laughs) but but yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. So, um, that's really fun. Um, but that's so cool. They, and, but it's good, right? Like it's what you want. I'm not complaining, right? Like I love being a parent and I love 
having children. It sounds like you, you guys do too. Um, and obviously wouldn't have it any other way. So it's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and, uh, um, talk a little bit about something that you've, I've heard you mention Tyler, that you're a fan of, um, some, uh, particular authors, um, in particular, Brian Doyle. Um, so I heard you mention on the free trail podcast that you were reading a book or you had read a book called Martin Martin. Um, and so I actually started listening to it and, um, I really, I've really enjoyed it. I'm through like chapter 20 or something. I don't know how many chapters there are, but, um, and so, so, uh, just bear with me here as I, as I read, um, a, a section of this, and then I want you to react to it. If, if you don't, oh, this it, is but... fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, let me, sorry, let me set this up. So, um, as, as a Christian person myself, one who believes in God and, and how God created the earth and, and all living things on it. Um, I love, I guess I love how Brian Doyle like emphasizes kind of the reverence and respect for nature and all living things. And, and not necessarily in like a hippie way, but, but in more of like a humbling way that we see the earth, uh, and God as like much bigger than ourselves. And I think it's something that, um, trail runners in particular can resonate with, you know, we love being outdoors and in nature and, and, um, in the mountains and such. So anyways, here's the, here's the quote that I list that I heard. Cause I actually, I listen to audiobooks. I, I can't, I don't have time to read them. So I've got to listen to them while I run or something. But anyways, uh, he said in the book, he said, uh, and he's talking about, um, actually a different Martin, right? The, like the animal, a a Martin that is, uh, gets in like a little scuffle with the main story, Martin. He says, uh, he is only one of a million, no, a billion stories you could tell about the living beings on just this side of the mountain. The fact is that there are more stories in the space of a single second in a single square foot of dirt and air and water than we could tell in a hundred years. The word amazing isn't much of a word for how amazing it is. The fact is that there are more stories in the world than there are fish in the sea or birds in the air or lies among politicians. You could be sad at how many stories go untold but you could also be delighted at how many stories we catch and share in delight and wonder and astonishment and illumination and sometimes even epiphany. So that's the end of the quote. Um, What is it about like Brian Doyle's like style of writing that resonates with you? And if you don't mind, as as far as you're comfortable with sharing it, um, you know, sharing where you are personally, spiritually and how, how Brian Doyle kind of, resonates with you in that way yeah that's a really big question I mean I think the what comes to mind when I hear that quote is the um the importance of story in our lives and that I'm a big fan of like the hero's journey um Joseph Campbell uh kind of the like a a structure of how kind of a story works in in order to make a story like good. And I think that, um, and one that, or the the monomyth is another way of putting this. Um, This is going to probably be a long answer. (laughs) No problem. Um, I just, I love the, 
idea that each of us is living a story and the reason that stories resonate with us is because there is because these stories um reflect on, on our lives in some way and i think it's the same thing with running i mean i do a big spiel with my kids about this stuff of like look it's not like like you're never going to watch a movie or read a book where you just someone ran really good and then they kept running really good and wow at the end of it they won everything like that isn't a very good story like you need challenge and you need struggle and you need to fail <laughs> um so so uh yeah i think about that in my own life um and the incredible characters that i have um that I have in my life and Rachel and Lewis and friends and family. Um, yeah. Stories are, are so important. Uh, and I think Brian Doyle is, is an expert storyteller in this way of like turning something that's so like humorous and something that you never would have thought of. And then like just slaying you with something like just this deep truth about, about how beautiful it all is. First time I ever read Brian Doyle was like a week into the into COVID and I couldn't sleep, not necessarily because I was like nervous about something, but just like couldn't sleep. And I like went over and opened this book, this collection of his essays and stuff. Tell him the name because it's so uh, good. One Long River of Song. And okay. add it to your audio book. Yeah, here. yeah. It's so good. So I, I read like two essays and I was like whoa or I like maybe it was just one essay I was like shut the book I gotta like sit on that one for a while and I woke up in the morning and like handed it over to Rachel I was like read this and like uh, two minutes later she's like bawling <laughs> so so, so there's something in there that I think um and I think that this is this is probably where I'll go with this like question of um of spirituality I grew up in um the evangelical church and um and spent um a couple years doing missions and um and and more recently have kind of uh, i don't know if it's stepped away but continued to um to pursue and to be curious about this but also to um to really just seek the really like authentic stuff and I feel like Brian Doyle is someone who like says things in a way that's like really true but isn't necessarily like having to say it in the exact right way and to get the uh, theology just right and stuff um and that is something that is uh is is um resonating with me yeah I think of the word refreshing when I, as I've been listening to, you know, Martin Martin, just like the way he writes is refreshing. And like you said, just like the way he can weave and, you know, truth and, and create and tell a story. So that's, that's really cool. Thank you for, for, uh, for that answer and for, um, letting me ask you that question. I really appreciate it. So, um, I wanted to ask another question about kind of what it's like to be a married couple that's sponsored, um, you know, by the same sponsor. Um, I guess like I'll start off with kind of the fun, positive things about it, and then maybe go into maybe some of the more difficult or challenging dynamics. So first of all, like what are the fun and positive things about being 
you know, a married couple sponsored by the same sponsor. I think, I mean, I, I just want to say like, without our sponsors, we would not be able to spend the time that we spent with Lewis. So yes, we spend a lot of time training, but if it weren't for, for our sponsors, Tyler would have to still be teaching at the school. Um, just like it's opened up a lot of opportunity, not just athletically, but also for our family unit to really, you know, spend a lot of quality time together. So I would say that's a, a huge positive. Um, our, our sponsors at this point, it feels like they're more like family than like business partners. I know it's definitely still a business, but like, for example, when we found out we were pregnant, we, we told, um, our sponsors at Osprey and they, they were ecstatic. They were like, this is such good news. Like, they were like, I hope this goes without saying, but the fact, you know, this, this only makes you more valuable as athletes to us. Like, I don't care about your competition. Like, we're just so happy for you guys. Like, how can we support you? So, um, those are the positive that I can think of. It's been, uh, really cool that our careers have kind of blossomed at the same time as well, or are in fairly, fairly parallel lines. Um, I mean, they're challenged, like, you know, Rachel was injured for a time and I was still running and that was a really challenging, like kind of imbalance there. But for the most part, like, yeah, we just, and the other cool, I think what I love most is like Rachel's, it like makes me a much better runner because she's so stinking fast and I'm constantly like, constantly like what you're right there we're doing a workout or something like that and I feel like I've like created this big gap and then I turn around and she's like right there and I'm like oh she's <laughs> did it again so um yeah those are some those are some fun things that come along with it we, of course we run a lot less we run together a lot less these days um because we're usually tag teaming it uh but when we do get that opportunity it's extra special and um and then just that we're able to yeah, share this journey of racing and, you know, when it's her turn to race, it's like you get to race like twice as much in the year because anytime she's racing, it feels like I'm racing. And actually it's even more enjoyable because you don't have to deal with the like <laughs> comfort of racing. Anymore. I get way more stressed <laughs> when he's racing though. Like, Yeah that's uncomfortable. Like I, last year's Western States was the first time that I wasn't like nauseous all day long. And I, I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's because I was like more confident in Tyler or anything. I think it was actually the hot dog that I ate at Robinson flat. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Well, that's really cool. And I like, I like what you said, you know, Tyler, you saying that your careers have kind of blossomed at the same time or kind of in parallel. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that in, in word, like, like, as a matter of fact, your contracts with Nike are separate and, and independent, right? Like it's not like a joint contract or or anything, but does it ever, I guess like my question is, you know, does it ever feel like there are any strange or difficult dynamics at play, whether they're real or perceived, Uh, you know, I like, like you said right now, it seems like both of you are, you know, doing really well and, and in parallel, 
but I can imagine, you know, a scenario where maybe one of you is struggling or, or injured like you were Rachel. Um, and then maybe, you know, you might have feelings of like, am I pulling my own weight? Am I like worth it? Are they only keeping me on because my spouse is like still doing well or, or anything like that. And I don't get the vibe from you that that is the case, but is that ever like a thought that crosses your minds? I haven't, it hasn't really been like that with, with sponsor stuff. Like I've never felt like that one of us or the other is like brought along because of the other person. I feel like we kind of like, you know, stand for ourselves and we bring different things to the table and some brands value things more than other brands. Like some brand might think that Tyler's more valuable than I am and vice versa. But I mean, in terms of like our family dynamic, like when I was injured, it was really hard because any runner who's ever been injured knows that it's dark times and you can get frankly pretty depressed. And I found out that I had a stress fracture the day before we left for the Canary Islands where I was supposed to run the marathon and Tyler was going to run the long race. And here we are going to this beautiful running destination with my parents who would have been able to watch Lewis while we ran together. And I was sidelined and I was in pain just walking around. So it's, it's, I'm grateful because if it weren't for Tyler still running and racing, then I would be out of the scene completely, which is, is what I I also got to experience while I was pregnant. Like I got to go to Western States and crew him and feel like I was a part of the community even though I wasn't able to compete for quite a long time. But then at the same time, there's this level of frustration to get to see him leave to go on a run and get to train. And I'm just injured and, you know, not even able to do physical therapy exercises yet. So, um, but I guess to bring it back to the hero's journey, I'm, I'm glad in a way that that happened because I, there were a lot of valuable lessons there. And now Um, I wrote about this on Instagram, but I, I didn't have any starting lines for a while. And, and then I did have starting lines, but I wasn't very fit. And so when I have a, when I have the opportunity to race and also to be fit, it's like, I gotta just be grateful for that because when you, when you can't do any of that, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. Awesome. Tyler, anything to, to add on to that? Yeah, I think the injury, the injury set is is probably the the main thing that comes along with that. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's. I think you covered it pretty well. Cool. All right. Uh, just want to transition to a little bit forward looking, but before we go forward looking, want to look back just a couple months at Rachel's um, Olympic trials qualifier at the California International Marathon (CIM) um, back in December. Um, so you ran. Uh, two hours, 35 minutes, comfortably under the two hours and 37 minutes standard. And, you know, I understand that you are not going to be at the Olympic trials, but instead at uh, a, a different, uh, a trail race. But first, before, I, before we go on to that, so I think I can know why you picked the trails. I mean, I, I understand why you <laughs> picked trails. You understand but, me. <laughs> yeah. But I can imagine there are some road runners out there or 
or trail runners, you know, that want to want to know, like, um, I guess like if you, you know, like they could say, like, if you're not going to be running the Olympic trials, like, why did you go for the standard? Why, like, why did you even, yeah even do that? So what would you say to, to those, those questions? Yeah, I think, I mean, going back actually to 2019, when I ran my first road marathon, I, I loved the, the marathon training cycle and the, just the way that it made me feel strong and fast. And, uh, that fitness translated really nicely into CCC, which, you know, is a hundred K very mountainous race where you're, yes, you have to run fast, but it's not fast, like a road marathon. So, I think I was just after having a baby, I was craving, I was craving a marathon training block. And I felt like regardless of what time I ran, I guess the whole 237 thing, it's, it's somewhat arbitrary set by, you know, people who are trying to, to, to come up with a reasonable cutoff. So I sure I wanted to hit the standard, but more importantly, I wanted to get in a good training block and also just see how fast I could run. So whether that was another 240 or a 235, it didn't really matter as long as I, I got that, um, that training cycle. Gotcha. That, that makes total sense. I think, you know, it speaks to, you know, your, your attitude in general as a, as a runner, as a person of like, I want to see what I can do. You know, I want to push myself. I've run 240 before. Um, I want to get in this, this marathon training block and I want to do my best. Right. And, and, um, and if I can, I want to PR and I know, yeah. like you said, like the, the trials qualifier standard might be arbitrary, but if it's arbitrary, it's at least something to shoot for mm -hmm. and something to, to go after. So really cool. So, um, so you will be doing then black Canyon hundred K in just a couple short weeks. Um, so, yep. And, uh, that's going to be so exciting. Um, I'm excited to be there as well. I'm going to be, oh. running too. so yeah, nice. it'll be good to meet you. Yeah. It'll be good to, to meet you guys there too. Um, but I guess like, and your goal is your goal then to get a golden ticket to go into Western States. And, and, you know, I, again, I can imagine the answer, but why, why do you want to do that? Yeah, I, yes, that's the goal. And I think for a long time, I wasn't really drawn to Western States. I didn't have the I didn't have the itch like Tyler had. I remember when we first started dating, he was so obsessed with it. We actually drove down to, to Forest Hill around New Year's time. We we're just running on the Western States trails. And I think now I've built up this, this library of great memories, um, going to Western States, running on the trail while I was pregnant. And I think it would be really cool to, to get to to, to throw down there and be a part of that, you know, and experience it from a different perspective after being there as a, a crew and a spectator so many times. That's so cool. That's awesome. Um, Tyler, what would it mean to you or what, what would it be like to have, you know, your wife also be running Western States with you there? 
That, yeah, that'd be really cool. <laughs> we have, I don't know if I should say our little joke about the cougar. Oh, no, we can say it. We, uh, we, we're, just... we always say like, we just, we just really need a cougar in this house. Someone needs a cougar. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to be me. So I think, I, I think we just found, I think we just found the, uh, the episode title there. I think we oh, need a cougar we, in this house. I think house. we need a cougar. I just think it's a cool trophy. I mean, we don't have a we don't have a mantle, but I just think it would be really cool to have a to have one of those. Would be cool. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. Well, as we wrap up here, I have some um what I call punchy climb questions. All right. So quick hit, like lightning round, lightning round style. So Tyler, what's the story behind your Instagram name, Narrow Green Arrow? Uh buddy of mine when we would go out on trail runs and I'd always start out real fast and he would say, there goes the green arrow. So that's, that's it. it. <laughs> All right. And, and since then you've, you've adopted a more conservative strategy. So yeah, yeah. it's true. He's, he's grown up. <laughs> good. Good. All right. Next one. Um, was, uh, your, your son Lewis named after a certain elk in a certain book. Oh, called Martin Martin. Um, he was named after uh, my grandfather. Um, but my grandfather was actually named after um, a, a Oregon geographer um, who was best friends with his, with my great, great, with my great grandfather, um, Lewis Tam MacArthur. So it has kind of some connections and it's possible that it's possible that Brian Doyle somehow connected the Lewis Lewis the Elk with, with, um, Tam MacArthur. Well, there you go. Yeah. Either way, an Oregon outdoorsy name. Love it. <laughs> cool. Um, my friend Damon Chavez, uh, who was the second, um, guest on this podcast, he wants to know cinnamon toast crunch or frosted flakes. Cinnamon toast crunch. Yeah, I right. used to steal that from the dorms in college. My roommate and I would <laughs> gallon baggies and just just dump all the cereal. Yeah, cinnamon yeah. toast crunch. CTC. <laughs> Same for you. Okay, cool. All right, and then uh, this one I'm I'm asking for a friend, uh, uh, Tyler. Best piece of advice for someone running their first hundred k in less than two weeks, which happens to be Black Canyon. <laughs> um, uh, if you should have it in your mind to run every step. Okay. Okay. I, think, that, I mean, I is... guess it kind of depends on, on the runner too, but I think it's, um, a, a very runnable course besides like two punchy climbs, two very short punch, little punchy climbs. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll pass that on to my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Is it, is it Hayden Hawks? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's Hayden. Yeah, Hayden, it's his, I know. It's, it's, it's his, for advice. <laughs> it's his first 100K, you know, first Hayden time. doesn't like, we know. No, actually, Tyler, you are the, you will be the third um, Black Canyon 100K champion that's on this, that's been okay. on the podcast. Oh, nice. um, Hayden uh, Hawks, Anthony Costales, and, and okay. you. And cool. uh, Rachel, you could be the fourth, you know, in the oh. future. So there we go. We'll see. No. <laughs> all right 
Well, thanks so much. Um, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you guys coming on the podcast. We will, you know, obviously link to all your, you know, social medias and, and whatnot, Strava's, Instagram's, anywhere else where people can, can find you or follow along on your journey. Strava and Instagram. That's yeah, pretty the, much it. The normal stuff. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we will be looking um, forward to again where you are going to be going to um, to uh, residency with uh, with great anticipation, as I'm sure you guys you guys will as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's getting real. We're yeah, down to a month and a half before we know. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, the last question that I have for you is what mantra or saying serves as your headlamp through the dark and difficult moments of life or running? Mine is, uh, and this is a mantra that I use in while racing as well is all you have is this moment move well now. That's what Harley's going to say. That's mine. I know, but I got it from uh, you. Yeah. Just something that's like, you know, one step at a time. I think that we get that's the challenge of ultra running is sometimes we shoulder the entire thing all at once. Uh, and all you have to think about is the step that you're in the gel that you have to eat right then those types of things. Um, and then the, you know, the steps accumulate and all of a sudden you've run a mile and then you've run five miles, you know? Awesome. Love it. Rachel, you, you can, you can say that that was yours and, and get it off was if you want be to, mine, but... but I'll, I have another one I can use too. Cool. Um, the other one is when you run with joy, you can't lose. And that's just to say, you know, if you're, if you're enjoying yourself and doing the best you can, doesn't really matter what the outcome is. This applies more to running, I think than to life because sometimes you you just need to execute things properly in life but but with running and competition whether it's you know you're coming back from an injury or you're not quite where you want to be I think um it holds true for me that that anytime I'm I'm running with joy I'm I'm actually probably running faster than if I'm not but um that's kind of that's why we do it and if it doesn't really matter what place you're in. If you, if you have fun and you're kind to the volunteers and kind to your competitors, like you have won the day. So, um, I think if we can all think about that a little bit more and get a little, little less caught up in results, I think things would be a bit better. Yeah. Love it. Love it so much. Well, thank you again. Really good answers, really good words of wisdom. And again, you guys are just, uh, people that I, that I really admire and look up to. And, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks for being here. Appreciate yeah, it. And so yeah. And we'll see you at black Canyon. So thank you, Nate. See ya.